Well, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 113. So, um, welcome back. So, uh, let's begin uh, first with the reading of passages of Scripture for today, and then we're going to go into the articles uh, that I think are going to be very important to ask some important questions these are going to be life-side articles. So let's begin uh, with an act of contrition in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory, Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son. Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father, Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, so um, the first one is going to be from the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 23 to 31. After their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported what the chief priests and the elders had told them. And when they heard it, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is in them, you said by you said by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples and entertain folly? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the princes gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Indeed, they gathered in this city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the peoples of, the, of Israel, to do what your hand and your will had long ago planned to take place. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with all boldness as you stretch forth your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. As they prayed, the place where they gathered shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Psalm, Psalm 2, 
Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Alleluia. Why do the nations rage and the people out of folly? The kings of the earth rise up, and the princes conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their feathers and cast their bonds from us. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Alleluia. He who is enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord derides them. Then in anger he speaks to them. He terrifies them in his wrath. I myself have set up my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Alleluia. The Lord said to me, You are my son. This day I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall rule them with an iron rod and you shall shatter them like an earthen dish. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Alleluia. If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Alleluia. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, verse 1 to 8. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man once again grown old be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound of it. It makes the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just like our Lord, um, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, introduced himself, I guess you can say, gave his opening, his introduction in Jerusalem when he healed um the man by the pool of Bethsaida, Bethsaida, I believe it's called, I'm sorry, you know, the, the port, by the portals of Solomon, I believe it was called the, where the, a lot of the lame, the blind, the sick, uh, were sitting there by the pools waiting for the troubled waters. When an angel, of the Lord would come down from time to time. Some of the, uh, earlier, uh, Bible uh, oldest oldest Catholic Bibles will have that, like the Douay Reims will have that that verse 
for an angel of the Lord would come in and trouble the waters. Later editions, uh, scholars believe that that was not part of the original text. They would remove that one verse. But, you know, you would, might see it in some Catholic Bibles as a footnote. Um, I personally think that she just left it in there. But anyway, um, he healed the man who was crippled maybe for 48 years, uh, lame for 48 years, and asked the man, do you want to be well? And then he, he, uh, he healed the man. The man got up and walked, picked up his mat. It was the Sabbath. And so that was going to be, that was pretty much a challenge. The Pharisees, after an investigation, found that it was Jesus who did it and therefore confronted him. And that's why they wanted to kill him. Well, <clears throat> the first miracle for Peter was a man lame sitting by the sheep's gate. All right. And where they bring in sheep. And that's not an accident because obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, he looks at the man, tells him, I have no gold or silver to give you. And he commanded him to walk in the name of Jesus Christ. He got up and therefore that was their introduction. <laughs> uh, the church got the attention of the authorities. They had Peter and John arrested. They realized they are followers of Jesus. They realized a miracle was performed. They never deny the miracle. They never deny the authorities, never deny that a miracle took place. That pretty much gets their attention. They, they, they don't doubt it. What, so that's something they admit happens, but they don't want their authority to be threatened. As we, this here, this event takes place, they got released and the prayer that that what's interesting is that they quote Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm. And in what's interesting, the words that they use here, sovereign Lord, you will see that being mentioned. Um, the word sovereign Lord, that reference is made in the book of the apocalypse of John, where the believers cry out for justice, sovereign Lord, waiting for when justice, when God's justice will finally reign supreme. And this scene is, as much as it's a, a testimony of the faith of the church, the early church, it's also a very apocalyptic. The early believers saw and understood that Jesus now rules and that the, now that they're the, their nation, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel now stands on the same level with, with the Gentile nations, but because of their rejection of the Messiah, of the Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior of Israel, the promise of Israel, they rejected Herod, Pontius Pilate, and all, and, and, and Israel, the, the people of Israel stood up against the Christ with the Gentiles. They realize that Jesus is that anointed one. The word anointed in Hebrew is Messiah, Mashiach, 
we get the word Christ from Greek, which means anointed. And so, therefore, they realize that Jesus now stands on, you know, Jesus now is the ruler who sits on the throne of Zion as the Lord's holy one. But the people of Israel have failed to recognize him. And so now the price has to be paid because they were more obsessed of keeping their identity, their ethnicity, their uniqueness separate. But also the rulers have corrupted themselves and they want to keep their power. Sadly, it's kind of like what's happening today with many of the priests and bishops. Many of them seem that to, to, to the other day I was listening and Michael Voris and, um, they, they're more comfortable with social justice than they are theological or spiritual things. They're more, they, they, they don't believe the church should be countercultural. They, many of them are homosexuals and they want to keep the, and, and they, they like running with the world rather than denouncing sin and standing with our Lord. Well, you know, it's, it's obvious. I mean, what happened to ancient Israel is happening to us. It doesn't mean that the gates of hell prevailed. We're going to see an article in a little while that's going to talk about it. And I think it's something that has to be addressed. We, we have to realize that we're living pretty much in, in it's, it's, I can't say if it's the end. I don't want to say that. But it definitely seems that we're, you know, we have to question this. We have to question what's happening. We have to really be prepared. Things are rapidly changing and it's hard to figure out, you know, we have to be prepared for, for, for unexpected events. So anyway, uh, the next, obviously the, um, gospels. Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Now here you have Nicodemus, pretty much a teacher of Israel and a man up there with the authorities, but he comes to our Lord at nighttime, which obviously seems he, he feels threatened if he acknowledges our Lord openly, but he definitely believes that our Lord is from God and our Lord is someone special, but he wants to be sure. His faith is not strong enough. He never technically ever came out publicly, if you notice, in any of the four Gospels. Um, John's Gospel, he definitely felt threatened. He didn't, you know, even cut um, uh, Joseph of Arimathea didn't come out publicly. They only, oh, they realized who he was after his death. They, they gave him, they helped give him a proper Jewish funeral. Joseph of Arimathea gives him his tomb. But here Nicodemus is finding out that you, that you have to be born again to believe in Jesus is to believe is to be born again of the spirit, a new Genesis, water and the spirit events pointing back to creation where the spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And then 
we also get the picture of the flood and obviously of the Red Sea crossing and of the people of Israel uh, drinking water from the rock. And obviously pointing to um, the events where Jesus is going to mention later on in another reading uh, as Moses put the, the serpent on the pole, the bronze serpent, so and lifted it up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and, and be saved. These are fulfillment of prophecies and events that Nicodemus will have to ponder and begin to and, st and begin to watch these events dramatically take place. But these events already take place in our souls. Every time we encounter Jesus, we encounter him, we ourselves have to have to be transformed. Being born again is a constant process all our lives. We know that we've been told this over and over again through the saints. We've been told this over and over again through many of the great Bible teachers, many of our great scholars of the church. The catechism tells us this. It's a process. It's not a one-time event. Even though I have to say our separated brothers, the Protestants, have, I think, more zeal and more faith than I think most Catholics. We Catholics, for some reason, we're slow responders. I mean, I realize this when we come into the the church, when I came into the church, Catholics didn't seem to have the same zeal about the faith as a Protestant does. Although I'm very happy that someone like Scott Hahn and many other Protestants come in and brought some of that zeal with them, that love for scripture. But it's a, But for some reason, we're being stifled. We're being stifled. We don't, we don't live our faith evangelically. We don't live our faith charismatically. And even a lot of Catholics don't read their Bibles enthusiastically as the way Protestants read their Bibles enthusiastically. They memorize scripture. Not a lot of Catholics do. And I think that's sad. All right, let's move on to the uh, articles. I have an article here from LifeSite News. Uh, I'm going to be very careful how I'm going to pronounce his last name, but his first name is Peter Kwasniewski. Kwasniewski. Okay, uh, sorry, but his last name is spelled K-W-A-S-N-I-E-W-S-E. K-Y. Kwa Senwaski. Kwa Senwaski. I hope I'm pronouncing it. That's as, probably as close as I'm going to get unless he corrects me. Okay, it's a blog. Why scandals in the Catholic Church should not lead us to abandon ship. This I totally agree. If the church turns people away, from the path to heaven by her chaotic external appearances have not the gates of hell prevailed? That's a good question people would ask. And here's a, there's a photo here of uh, what appears to be a Catholic church, a uh, small chapel it's, um, where it's built near these shores and the waters have pretty much uh, uh, gotten bigger and engulfed the, the, the church. Uh, it's 
swallowed up by water. April 13th, 2021. It has been objected that Christianity makes the refutation of itself impossible by claiming both that the gates of hell will not prevail and the false shepherds will come. And that the false shepherds will come. All right, April 13th, 2021. It has been objected that Christianity makes the refutation of itself impossible by claiming both that the gates of hell will not prevail and that the false shepherds will come. So whether things are going well or badly, either way, the church wins. Is this a logical problem? Should Christianity be should Christianity be falsable uh, as other hypotheses are? From the beginning, from the beginning, Christianity has offered a multifaceted view of how the church will fare over the ages. Neither X alone nor not X alone are the evidence for Christianity's truth. But the presence of, bo of both over time and indeed from the start of the church to the end of time. If they weren't both present, then Matthew's gospel, which, which most clearly makes the double claim, would be seen to be wrong. But I think there's an important point we have to reflect on, and that is the need to shuffle off expectations based on historical uh, contingencies and not on the nature of things. Let me explain, okay? There was a period in the church beginning sometime after the post-Trinitine renewal, counter-reformation, and lasting up to the eve of Vatican II, when we could truthfully say the church flourished in the terms of discipline, in the terms of doctrine, and even in the terms of money and the relative lack of turbulence in the church, at least as far as most pew-sitters were concerned, was in fact a motivator for many to join it. Look at, the, look at this immensely powerful, stable, prestigious, coherent organization. It must be true. This was the period people characterize as triumphalist, and uh, it's triumphant. And in a way, they are, they, were, they are right. The church's worldly success went to the heads of her leaders and made them feel they, that they, like Jesus, had done all things well. Yet, consider the, the danger. To the degree that members of the church lean too much on her success as evidence of her divine identity and mission. To that degree, her human failures, which have always been possible and which past ages were quite full of, will now feel more like evidence against her claim. Hmm. One can still give an account of how none of this amounts to contradictions and teachings and how it still fits within the parameters of damage the Holy Spirit will allow to happen to the church on earth. I do not think that just any Catholic account could necessarily survive just any kind of news facts. That is, it would be uh, false, uh, falsable 
and there are therefore not vulnerable to the charge that one has removed oneself from uh, verifiability. For example, someone in the first millennium would have claimed that a pope will always be present in the city of Rome. His claims would have been falsified by the Avignon period when popes lived in France. And if, uh, and in, if someone in the 20th century had claimed that a pope could never teach error in any way, that claim would have been falsified at least by the pontificate of Pope Francis as is evidence to anyone who reads the recently published collection Defending the Faith Against Present Heresies. That's interesting. Of course, making such an account in defense of the Church's indefectibility, especially uh, today, takes time and patience to unfold. It is not something that can be done in social media exchange. That that leaves the scandal scandalous problem. What about people on the outside who do not have a sufficient reason or motivation to listen patiently to a long and careful account of how to reconcile things that sure look contradictory? If the church turns people away from the path to heaven by her chaotic external appearance, have not the gates of hell prevailed then? But this objection is really no different from the generic problem of scandal. Every scandal that results from the abuse of human freedom is by definition the placing of an obstacle to the truth. Scandal is, and well, scandalous. It makes it possible for certain people to fail, to reach something good or true because of some evil or error that trips them up along the way. But the existence of scandal is not by its nature incompatible with the Spirit's guidance of the Church as a whole over time, nor will the entering and maintaining a grace-filled relationship with Christ here and now. A friend of mine recently spoke with a young man who entered the Church a year and a half ago, and the story of his journey was astounding. He told friends on Twitter, of all places, who got him to start thinking about Catholicism. He told about a priest who urged him not to enter the church, but to live out his vocation in his Protestant community. He told about an SSPX priest who gave him solid answers and did not pressure him to join the SSPX. The path he followed was by no means an obvious path. Yet he and others continue to enter the church, despite how impossible it feels to all of us who are so close to the scandals. The possibility and the probability and the actuality of scandal confronts me with an existential question. What is the church and what is Catholicism? Who is Christ for me? Can I perceive and hold to what it is true, whether it is good and whether it is beautiful in the midst of smokescreens, counterfeits, hideous distortions, isn't that the fact that I, that I can recognize and lament what is not true, good, or beautiful, a kind of proof that the Lord's voice is not silenced by the noise and uh, dissonance? 
It is a cause of real hope that more Catholics than ever, thanks ironically to the Internet, are questioning the great reset of Catholicism and at the other and and at and after the Second Vatican Council, who are rediscovering traditional Catholic doctrine and liturgy and life. Yes, we can try to live our lives as the saints did, as prior generations of Catholics try to do at their best. What is to prevent us from uh, prevent us? Some abusers and corruptors in Rome, really? Or is it our own fear of looking silly or being embarrassed when we refrain from meat on Fridays and pray the daily rosary, go out of our ways to attend the traditional Latin mass, dress modestly in the summer, avoid offensive films and books? There's no need to what's, uh, need, need whatsoever to be ashamed of any of these things. On the contrary, the more the modernists undermine the Catholic religion, as it has always been taught, the more powerful and crucial is our witness. And I would even say the more sanctifying for us who must bear many crosses, our ancestors could not have dreamed of, but what God always knew would come. When Christ established his church with the miracles and clear teaching and built it on the rock of Peter, the most obvious conclusion at the time would have been fantastic, at least a religion that cannot be corrupted. That's what we would ha we'd all have expected. And this is why Christ, to our surprise, tells us, ah, yes, but there will be goats mixed in with the sheep and wolves entering the fold as well. There will be false prophets who will almost deceive the elect. You can recognize them by their fruits, and you know that I have told you ahead of time. This to me is not convenient, as the skeptic might say, but rather prophetic, strengthening and confronting. I know that the sky is not falling in on the Catholic Church, uh, the mystical body of Christ. Instead, alas, it's being run on earth to a significant extent, by perverts and heretics. They cannot alter one iota of, of, the, despise, uh, of, of, the, of the deposit of faith or the testimony of the ages of the saints. The great councils, the crystal clear teachings of, of upteen catechisms, even if they take away access to the sacraments, they cannot take away our faith or the grace of God. These do, do not belong to them. The drunken sailors of the ships are doing their best to, to run it aground or sink it. But the ship sails on. It sails by a power inherent in it, not by the muscles of the oarsmen. They could abolish the creed. They could abolish the creed, but, but it would remain true. They can modify sacramental rites pass recognition, but they cannot abolish sacraments in their traditional form, which will always survive somewhere. They can throw up obstacles to grace, but they cannot prevent God from giving his grace to souls who desired and asked for it. They can modify the Lord's Prayer in Italian or any other language, but what the Greek New Testament actually says remains unchanged. 
It's still possible to be a Catholic in spite of everything. It is always worthwhile to be a Catholic because the Catholic faith is true, good, beautiful, and salific. That is that, that is all it needs to be for us to love it and cleave to it. All right. That's an interesting article. I mean, I'm sure everybody heard um, about what happened, about that part, about the uh, Pope Francis modifying the Our Father prayer. Uh, instead of lead us not into temptation, in Italian, it says, abandon us not into temptation, which is not what the Greek says. Um, like I said, I think it's psychological with these men. It's psychological and it's unfortunate. It's very scary. I think their, their, their problem is supernatural, moral, and psychological. I think... It's this whole thing of changing the prayer has to be psychological. Francis is Pope. He's legally Pope. And I don't like saying these things about him. But guess what? If you see, if you can't, I mean, come on. If you see something wrong and you know, let's say the, the teacher of the class and you know you're not supposed to say anything and yet yeah, i'm i don't want to talk bad about him but if i know something is true is it right that i remain silent and if i know the teacher is not doing the right thing or the the shepherd is doing something wrong you gotta say you gotta say you gotta say no i mean it's like uh uh this thing happening now with uh mathematics here in the united states um we got these social justice warriors, these people who are into identity politics. Because minorities, black and Hispanic kids in schools are not doing good. And I'm, by any means, I'm not a mathematician. Okay? I mean, my I come from a Middle Eastern background, Arab, Palestinian background. And my father used to be scream at me because I was terrible at math. Okay, but I can still figure out that Two plus three, right? It's five, right? I, I, it's five. But they're saying, they're saying like two plus two is not four. It can be five. It can be whatever a minority wants it to be. They're actually, they're actually, they're actually admitting that they don't have faith in these kids. They're saying mathematics is racist. Even someone who is not good at math has, has to say it's stupid. You have to say it's stupid. If you don't say it's stupid, they're saying that they don't have faith in the kids. Well, a shepherd like Pope Francis, he's the authority, he's the Pope, we can respect him. But come on, he's doing something wrong. You got to say you're doing something wrong. You have to admit that there's something wrong here. There's something wrong with this Pope. There's something wrong in the way he behaves. You've got to admit there's something wrong with the cardinals and the priests. I mean, we, if we see abuse taking place, are we supposed to take, be quiet about it? Because we can't question a priest. We can't question a cardinal. We can't question a bishop. We can't question the deacon. 
You can't question your local pastor. You have to admit something is wrong. And we'll pray for the Pope. We'll, we'll, we'll acknowledge him as Pope. But we're not going to deny that something is wrong. And all in the end is I think it that the, maybe this is the way Christ wants it. He wants us to, to keep to stay on the faith. And if the only way we're going to stay on the, we're going to stay in the church is that we have to admit that something is wrong. You can't say something is wrong and leave the church. That's not the faith. That's not the faith. Our Lord said, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. All the others are hirelings. All the others are fake shepherds. They just they're just getting paid and they're gonna and they're gonna drop their shepherd staff and run away. Yes, keep looking, keep paying attention to the things that are wrong. And keep and we get we can't keep quiet. If we keep silent, we're guilty. We see a child getting abused, we're guilty. But we have to hold on to the faith and we have to keep praying and we have to keep asking our Lord for the grace to persevere over the evil that's that's around us. That's it. I mean, you know, we, we know many of the many of the uh, of the parables about the serpent, the head of the household, because the master is delayed, starts to abuse and and beat the other serpents. And then the master comes and catches him. You know, it's all there in the Gospels. And so let's move on to the next article. All right. This is by John Henry Weston, LifeSite News. He's the editor. He's interviewing Patrick Coffin, a Catholic podcaster. And uh, he, Patrick Coffin, used to be on um, Catholic Answers. And he, uh, he went off on his own, started his own uh, YouTube channel and podcast and uh, He's a great apologist, um, and he defends the faith. He's Canadian. And this article is Catholic podcaster Patrick Coffin. This is the remote dress rehearsal for the Antichrist. Later this month, Patrick will be hosting an online Truth Over Fear Summit COVID, about COVID-19 at www.restorethaculture.com. Um April 9th, 2021. If you're a regular reader of LifeSite, chances are you've heard of Patrick Coffin. Patrick is a solid Catholic and a good friend of mine who used to work for Catholic Answers, but now hosts his own podcast where he interviews tons of interesting people. Patrick was recently banned from YouTube for speaking out about the coronavirus later this month on April 30th. Uh, uh, he, he, he was banned from speaking about the coronavirus later this month on april 30th and may 1st he's hosting an online truth over fear summit about the virus you can register for the conference at restorethaculture.com archbishop vigano as well as bishop athanasius schneider and robert f kennedy jr will, will be speaking at it patrick and i called uh talked about a wide range this is john henry weston talking not me Patrick 
and John Henry about talked about a wide range of topics, including coronavirus vaccines, which he said are not vaccines, but experimental gene therapy. He also said that the Francis papacy has been marked by weaponized ambiguity and that Francis is actually helping to pave the way for the coming of the Antichrist. <clears throat> I think we're living through now, what we're living through now is what I would call a remote dress rehearsal for the Antichrist, he said. All this confusion uh, coming out of Rome is a remote preparation for the rise of the Antichrist. I think there is a certain universal softening of the ground that's happening. I think what's happening in Rome now is even more potent because it has external appearances of religious authenticity, he continued. And yet it has a forked tongue. I'm not saying the Pope is in the Antichrist. I'm not saying anything like that. All I'm saying is the swiftness and the global nature of this confusion, I think, inclines one if you if you have an open mind to say that we're entering into a whole new chapter of human history. Totally agree with him on that one. I think you should, uh, when you get a chance, go to uh, John Henry Weston. Uh, life site uh, podcast and listen to the interview. I think this is something uh, important. Uh, I'm not going to play it uh, because I think I don't want to take um, audiences away from John Henry Weston. Um, they're real, uh, but I will continue to read life site news articles and I will uh, do everything I can to, you know, because I think LifeSite is doing good work. I started to notice I'm seeing less and less of them on YouTube. And it's because YouTube actually uh, is limiting LifeSite news. And unfortunately, what they did to Patrick Coffin, which is YouTube, <clears throat> was wrong. <clears throat> it's um, They really are, unfortunately, attacking uh, conservatives. Uh, Google <clears throat> owns YouTube. And um, it's pretty tragic. So uh, this is it. I'm going to end it here right now, and uh, I'll be back soon. I'm going back to work tomorrow. My uh, holiday is over. My uh, weekend, Holy Week, went pretty fast. Um, please pray for me, and uh, please pray for uh, for Catholic voices to be heard out there. We really need to um, get more voices out there, and this is unfortunate a time of confusion, but I think the faith, um, the faith will prevail. Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail over the church. And, uh, I believe that regardless what, what Pope Francis does and what all these horrible cardinals are doing, uh, we are going through a trial and I think we need to be saints. God bless and be well. Amen. Thank you.